You might want to turn to 2 Peter, no, 1 Peter. No, 2 Peter, I was right first time. 2 Peter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. Go right to the end, skip back a book or two and you will find 2 Peter. But before we get to that, um, let's um, recap. We're doing the Freedom in Christ course here as a church and we only have two sessions left. This week and next week and we're all done. We started it, if my memory serves, back in October last year. We've run through all the weeks. We've run the Steps to Freedom evening in January, run them for the girls and we ran them for the guys or other way around. And they've been a fantastic time. I don't know about you, but I have witnessed in the church God doing amazing things among people. It's happened in my life. It's happened in many other people's lives. And I'm so thankful for the kind of the tool God's given us in this course and the truth that we've been able to proclaim and the way it's set people free. I've talked to people after person after person saying, I've dealt with this wrong thinking. I've dealt with this. God's brought this up in my life. These people I've had to forgive. There's issues in my life that kind of run through. And so I am thrilled. So I hope you're excited about that. We've got the last two bits. So we're just going to land the plane this week and next week. If you've missed any of it over time, it's all online. You can kind of pick it up, listen to the course and we'll be running some more courses in the year in a sort of smaller context if you want to kind of catch up with any of that so just look out for that information to come so today's title part 12 is where are you heading now we learned a bunch of stuff in this course lots of truth and we said that when you've got your thinking right it should affect your daily life It should have an outworking on your behavior. If you have got right thinking and it's lined up with what the Bible says, it should have an outworking uh, on your behavior. It should affect you. But here's a question. You think, well, we're kind of finishing the course. And if we fast forward 12 months sort of to the end of this year, end of 2016, and we're kicking into 2017, how are you going to judge kind of how, you, how you're doing in your Christian war, how you're doing with God. God might have done a bunch of things to you over this course, dealt with some stuff, but life is going to carry on. And how are you going to look back and say, do you know what, it's been a good year. What yardsticks are you going to use? What measure are you going to use? Are, how are you going to judge that what we've learned in this course delivers the goods that it said it should? You know, when we've learned the truth, it's affected our life. How are you going to do that? In short, we're going to ask, what are your goals? And this is an important question because if I asked you, do you know what God's goal for your life is, could you give me an answer? What, is, what does God want out of your life? It's a really important question. And what we're going to do in this session is try and bring some truth and some light to that so we can have a competent answer by the end. Now, we assume if we're all believers here, if you know Jesus, you love Jesus, one of your aims is you want to glorify God. That's kind of just a given, yes, we want to glorify God. But what does that look like in the nitty-gritty of life? What does that look like kind of day to day? What does that look like tomorrow morning when the alarm goes off? And in our household, we've had a week of half term. And tomorrow, everything changes back to, you know, school, nursery, getting dressed, and kind of the, the world explodes again. So what does that mean? And when I say goals, what are your goals? I'm talking about things that are fundamental to our lives, things that give us meaning and purpose, by, by which we define ourselves. I'm not talking about things like, want to get fit, want to learn to play an instrument, or anything like that. Because if you fail those things, or you know, you're almost like, well, we'll try again. We'll try again. You know, we'll just have another go. It's not a big deal either way in that. But we're talking about things that, if we failed in these, it would leave us feeling inadequate or thinking we're failures. We're talking about big, fundamental things for our lives that define us. Now, God's given us some help with this. 
and how we can kind of work out our thinking in this. And he's given us a feedback system about our goals, to know when our goals are faulty or off track. And those things are feelings, are red warning flags. God's given us feelings that are designed to grab our attention to say, when you're feeling like this, something is going off track. Something's going off track. Something in your life is faulty. And God has said, if you're feeling angry, anxious, or depressed, they're the three things we're going to look at this morning's, they're signposts, red flags that alert us to the possibility that something in our lives, something in our thinking, the way we're acting is slightly off. Something something's doing is based on a wrong belief, and we're acting on that wrong belief, which is causing us either anger, anxiety, or depression. Let me give you an example. Imagine you may have been through this. You may be going through this as a parent, but imagine a young teenager wants to go to a concert um, in town, and they come to their parents and they're thinking, I've got to go to this concert because if I don't go, I will not be happy. My friends are going, they're saying it's going to be an epic time, and if I don't go, I just will not be happy. So there's, that's, that's, that's what they are kind of built their life on. Now that's a faulty belief, and what that does is it um, creates anxiousness in her because she suspects, this teenage girl, my parents won't let me go to the death metal concert where drugs are flowing and there's grim-looking biker dudes there. And she gets anxious saying, do you know what, my parents will not let me go. So she, anxiousness comes up in her. And then, and then she goes and asks her parents, mommy, daddy, can I go to the death metal concert where their drugs are flowing and they sing all sorts of ungodly songs and, and it's basically really horrible, but I want to go because my friends are going. And the parents say, no. So she's angry. She's like, I can't believe you won't let me go to this horrible concert over here, which my happiness depends upon. And so she tries pleading. Well, if I, if, I, if I do my chores, if I do the washing up, if I do my ironing, if I cook, if I do something, do all my homework, blah, 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 can I please go to the horrific death middle concert over here? And the parents say, no, they are firm. You cannot go. And so depression sets in because she, she cannot go and she knows, she realizes that the parents are not going to budge. And she, this sense of hopelessness comes in. Her goal that she was aiming for, what she wanted, which happiness was in this going to this concert, it now becomes impossible. She can't get there, and so she becomes depressed. So the first thing we're going to look at in that is anger. Anger singles, signals sorry, a blocked goal. If you're involved in an activity, a task, a relationship that is resulting in feelings of anger in you, it may be because there is a blocked goal in there. Think about this. How do you feel when you're delayed in a traffic jam? Yeah, the nervous laughter says it all there. <laughs> the traffic is so bad that you can't get to work the meeting, pick up the kids whatever it is, drop them off something is preventing your goal anger is erupting what about if you're a parent in a family many of us will identify this and maybe our goal is to having a loving harmonious Christian family centred on Jesus now that's not a bad goal, is it? that's quite a good thing but it's dependent on a lot of other things, isn't it? If I, me as a parent want that for my family, it's dependent on my spouse and my children to actually get on board with that goal. And if, if, they, if my self-worth is built on that, I've got a whole bunch of people who can prevent me getting there. And they probably will on a regular basis. 
And so if I can't get there, I might get angry with them because I find my self-worth is built on this idea that I've got to have this loving family. What about me as a, as a pastor of a church? Suppose my, my goal as a church is for us to become an effect in the community to let them know about Jesus. That's what I want. That's what my desire, my heart is built on. That's what my worth is built on. Is that a bad goal? That's not a trick question. No, it's not. No, it's not. No, it's a good goal. But if it's just completely bent on that, or built on that, I've got a whole bunch of people who will prevent that happening. You lot. You could really get, and I could get angry with you, because why aren't you just, you know, because my self-worth is built on this idea that actually I need to have this church that is doing all these things. And so when someone blocks your goal and you respond to action, they, you respond in anger, there could be a prompt there that actually God is saying, actually, you're building on faulty goals, faulty beliefs about your self-worth. And remember, we're talking about goals in the biggest fundamental sense here, not just sort of little things. We're talking about goals that actually define who we are as a people. What about the second one? Anxiety signals an uncertain goal. Okay, if you're feeling anxious about something, a relationship, a task, something you're involved in, something that you're hoping to happen, it will not guarantee... That also signals to possibly a wrong belief, something you're believing, some kind of thing you've built your life on that isn't necessarily going to work out the way you want. What about, say, the area of money, a very important issue. We all need money, we all get it, we all use it. But if your life, if your self-worth is built on accumulating enough money to have home, car, holidays, whatever it is, retirement, set up, and that's what it is, it will create anxiousness in you because there's no guarantee any of it lasts. There's no guarantee your job will last there's no guarantee that stock market economic crisis crash won't wipe out value of houses or shares or investments or whatever you've got. And that will generate anxiousness in you if you're building on the fact that I just, money is what's going to kind of, having enough is what's going to make me feel kind of worthwhile. And what about the last one, depression? Depression signals an impossible goal. Sometimes you might be striving after something and it just slips further and further and further away and you kind of this sense of hopelessness and helplessness comes in and in, after that comes depression because actually you're thinking I'll never be able to achieve what I've been striving for and as believers one of the things that can happen commonly is we we almost put our, our self-worth on maybe a loved one a spouse a child a friend becoming a Christian and saying actually that's what if that happens, I'll, kind of, I'll feel fulfilled. That's what I'm going to build my life on. And we do everything we can. We pray and we fast and we invite them to Alpha and we try and bring them to church and events. And the years roll on. And if we're building our life on thinking that's what we're about, that's what it's got to be, and it just seems like it's going further and further away, we can slip into a sense of hopelessness and helplessness. And the reality in that situation, who saves? That's not a trick question either. God does. We don't. We can't save anyone. It's all about God and Him working. We have a responsibility for sure. But actually, it's what God does there, and we can't build our, our, kind of our identity on that. And if so, it gets us to a point of helplessness, and our goal might seem unachievable, and depression might come as a result. And when I talk about depression, I'm not talking about chemical things. There are actual proper physical diagnosis that can lead to impression. I'm just talking about that sometimes that sense of helplessness we feel that's born out of actually faulty belief and faulty thinking in our life. So, 
How do we deal with these wrong responses when our goals are frustrated? What do we do with them? Well, we've got kind of a choice. We can either try and manipulate circumstances and control them and try and control people and say, well, you know, if we're... If, we, if you're going back to that one about raising a harmonious family and our, our kids are growing up and then maybe we've got ideas of them becoming whatever, doctors, lawyers, missionaries, worship leaders, whatever, we want, thing, we want to give them good jobs or golly jobs or something and they suddenly look like they're going in different directions we hadn't thought about, we can resort to control or manipulation or anger on trying to just push them into it. And the irony of that is, it, what does it do? It invariably will push the relationship further away. It will damage it more and more, and then the goal will become even further and further away, so you're more likely to get angry, anxious, or depressed. So how do we turn some of these bad goals into good goals? Well, let me ask you a question. If God wants something done, can it be done? Yes. Uh, Good answer. That was the best one so far. So, if God has a goal for your life, can it be blocked? No. No. You're getting better at this. I like this. So, take a Bible example. God had some pretty incredible things to ask people. There was a young lady called Mary. Remember Mary? Christmas time. An angel came to her. And what did the angel say? You're going to bear a son. Really? Not to get too anatomical, but I'm a virgin. <laughs> Doesn't work. What did the angel reply? Nothing is impossible with God. God sets a goal. He will come about it. So whatever the purpose of your life is, you can rest assured that no person and circumstances can thwart it. No God-given goal for our lives can ever be impossible, uncertain, or blocked. God wouldn't do that to you. Imagine, my, imagine I'm a loving dad, I've got a six-year-old named Levi. Imagine I said to Levi, I've got a goal for you, I want to set something out for you. I want you to go and mow the lawn outside. Our back lawn needs a mow. But I said, do you know what I'm going to do? I want you to go and mow the back lawn. However, it's covered in rubble, the mower doesn't work, and um, I need it done kind of by the end of the day. And I just sent, I kick my you know, six-year-old out the door and say, off you go, do that. Would that be fair? Would that be right? I say, try your best anyway. You're not going to do it, but just try it. God is not like that. God is not going to put a task before us that we cannot achieve. God's goals for us, for you, are possible, certain, and achievable. So if we put that together, we can say that no God-given goal can be dependent on people or circumstances that we have no right or ability to control. So if we find ourselves feeling constantly angry, angry anxious, or depressed is sometimes trying to have a good look at your life and think, what are the goals I'm building on? What are the things I'm putting my worth in? And are they actually lining up with what God says? Now, let's just talk a bit about the difference between a goal and a desire. All right? There are lots of godly desires we can have. There are lots of things we can do, but actually we mustn't let them get in the way of a godly goal. We can say a godly goal is this. We could define a godly goal as any specific orientation that reflects God's purpose for your life and does not depend on circumstances beyond our ability or, to, um, or right to control. So, who's the only person you can control? yourself okay so we've got to think about things that anything that is involves other people we have to downgrade to a godly desire 
A godly desire, then, is any specific result that does depend on the cooperation of other people. The success or events or favorable circumstances that you have no right or ability to control. For us, for me, personally, one that came to mind when I was doing this was coming here and starting Real Life Church. My wife and I moved, and we had something in our heart that God had said about starting a church in this town. And we gathered a small team. Should that come under godly goal or godly desire? Happy Troman's got it right, even though you whispered it. You should have shouted that one, I'd have given you a star. It's a godly desire because it's dependent on a whole bunch of factors. It's dependent on my team. It was dependent on people coming and joining us. It was dependent on us getting a venue. It was dependent on a whole bunch of things. And that's a great and godly desire to see people saved. But it wasn't something I could build my self-worth on, my esteem on, on who I am in God on. That would be, it would be wrong because if they did that, it would, build, it would bring anger, anxiousness and depression many times over. Because if you've ever been involved in the church plants, you know that those things... Lots of things can fraught to your goals. And so what we must do is when you look at your life, you need to make sure that what you're building your life on, godly goals, are things that aren't controlled by others. And godly desires, which are good, we can have them, but they don't always come about. Life is full of disappointments. We just have to learn to deal them. The things we want to do doesn't quite work the way we want and the circumstances that come about. So that brings us back to the question, what is God's goal for us? Have you found two, Peter? Let's read the Bible. 2 Peter 1, I'm going to start at verse 3 for us, and let's see if we can discern something in here that would be a great goal for all of us to live by. It says, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Through these He has given us very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption of the world caused by evil desires. For this reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. If you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election, for if you do these things, you will never stumble." Okay, if we live out our life as a Christian life without understanding what has already been done for you in Christ and the fantastic foundation is laid, you will simply be trying harder to do what God has already done, to obey a set of rules to make yourself acceptable. The freedom that God has given you, you will not kind of, you know, experience. He says, it says at the beginning of that passage that you have everything we need for life and godliness. Everything has already been given to us. It says we share in God's nature. We're saints. We're holy through and through. This goes back right back to the beginning of the course. This is the starting point, Peter says. You're saved. You're holy. You're saints. You've been transformed. You've got everything you need to get going. You share in God's nature. Okay? And if you're a believer here, you are already pleasing to him. We don't have to work for our salvation. We just merely work out our salvation. 
because we've already been saved, we've already had all these great things. And this is our starting point as believers. This is the, the thing that the Course has kind of tried to put in us from the beginning. Believe what the Bible says about us. Peter then goes on and says, we've escaped the corruption in the world. We're no longer slaves to sin, has no power over us. We can choose to walk every single day by the Holy Spirit and honor Jesus in all we say and do. In sure, we're free. We're free not to sin. We're free to choose Christ. We've been set free. It's wonderful news for us. Okay? But the passage does go on and it shows us God's goal for our lives. It says, verse 5, it says, For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and so forth. Goodness and knowledge, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, mutual affection, and love. So what's your goal? Where does it begin? It begins with faith. And all faith is is simply finding out the truth and choosing to believe it. Choosing to believe what's already true. And basically what we do is we're going to find out what, God said, what God's word says and believe it. And we're basically to make our, on our faith, we're to build out these number of qualities. Goodness, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness or mutual affection and love. What we have are a list of character attributes. This is the key to God's goal for your life. He's interested in your character. God's primary concern is not so much what you do, but what you're like. He's interested in what you're like. God's goal for you is to grow your character. Now, here's the question. Who already has those character, questions, those character traits in perfect amounts? Jesus. The goal that God has for you as a Christian is that you become more and more like Jesus. The goal God has for you as a Christian is to become more and more like Jesus in your character. Jesus perfectly reflects the character God wants us to have. And the great news is that no one and nothing can stop you becoming more and more like Jesus. Well, actually, there's only one person who can stop you. Who's that? Yourselves. Only you can. Because what does it say? If we read on the passage, it says, if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge, the Lord Jesus Christ. You grow in these character qualities, you will become effective and productive. That's what Peter's saying. If you don't know, you won't. If you do, you will grow and you'll become effective and productive. And that will be what God wants you in your life. It goes on, but whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they've been cleansed from their past sins. They forget the truth about themselves. They forget what God has done. They forget that they're righteous and holy before and they've been forgiven and all their sin has been dealt with. He says, therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling elections. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. Christians who are committed to God's goal of character formation will not fall. It says they will not stumble because they'll be growing. Ones who do, who forget what they're about, get that God is trying to deform their character, says they will stumble, they will fall, they will be ineffective, they will be unproductive as believers. 
How does this work in practice? Let's go back to that parent who wanted the harmonious, loving, caring Christian family, which is not a bad desire. It's a very good desire. How can, we, how can that person change their thinking into a more godly goal? Rather than thinking, I need to make sure my, my family is functioning this way, what they need to be thinking is, I need to be the best parent God has called me to be. I want to be the best parent, the best spouse I can possibly be by the grace of God. Because if you're going to have a loving, harmonious Christian family, you really do need to be the best you can be to make that happen. And even if it doesn't, you're still going to grow in character and knowledge and love. What about the leader of the church who wants their church to be effective in the community? For a goal, they should be thinking, I need to be the best pastor, the best leader I can possibly be to love and serve my people. Because that only depends on one person. And so when you evaluate your life and things you want to kind of what you're going to build your life on, actually what God is most interested in each of you is you growing in character in being more and more like Jesus. There are lots of things he'll ask you to do on the way, but ultimately that's what he's interested in you. And here's the really good news. Difficulties help us towards that goal. You're welcome. You may think that past or present circumstances are so difficult, so tough in your life that they can, be, they can actually stop you becoming what God wants you to be. But actually, the opposite is true. Paul says in Romans 5, he says, we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. James 1 says this, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. This should be put on a t-shirt or a sticker to put in your, in your house. No one sit, you know, I never see this on the wall in people's houses. It says, count it all joys, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. If you want to build someone up this week, just text that to them. <laughs> Felt this scripture for you today, my brother? Send. Oh, there's another bit. We've got to keep going. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Pursing through difficulty results in an improved character. Through them, we become more and more like Jesus. And if God's goal is to make us become more and more like Jesus, so then difficulties help us towards that goal. I don't know if you've been through in your life any kind of relational breakdown any difficulty in a relationship, uh, you know, something's broke down, a friendship or even a marriage or a relationship with a, a child, it, it can be incredibly painful. You might have felt betrayed, rejected, hurt in those times. It can be really difficult. It can be really difficult if you're, you almost feel like you're on the receiving end of someone else's poor behavior. And actually, then how do you approach that? How do you deal with that? I mean, the wrong way would be someone say, oh, it'll be all right, it's going to work itself out you're definitely going to make it, you know, you'll make up at some point, which of course is ridiculous. That doesn't always happen. It can sometimes just get worse and worse, and sometimes, you know, situations never get reconciled and never get dealt with in this life. But if you know you're in a relationship and it's broken down, you might think, well, actually, most of it's on them, but do you know what? Some of it's on me. Some of it's on me. You've got an opportunity there to grow. You've got an opportunity to say, actually, God, how are you going to use me in this difficult situation to grow and become more like you? What are you teaching me in this situation? 
So I don't know what situations you're facing now, what's going on in your life, but the question to ask yourself in them is, God, what are you teaching me through this? How are you causing me to grow through this? How are you causing me to become more like you in this? Because that's God's goal and desire for your life. Sometimes people just kind of choose to run away from situations. They want to change job, change church, change uh, relationships, do something. But unfortunately, that doesn't always solve the problem if they're the problem. God says, actually, you need to hang in there and grow up in me, mature in faith by dealing with these trials and saying, God, what are you teaching me through this? How are you growing through this? Someone once said this. He said, everyone needs mountaintops experience every so often, but the fertile soil and most of our life is found in the valleys. Everyone needs mountaintop experiences every so often, but the fertile soil and most of our life is found in the valleys. When we have a perceived goal and it's blocked and we feel angry or uncertain, anxious, and we find, you know, this is difficult, we have to remember what the Bible says. Paul says the goal of our instruction is love. Love is the character of God because God's at love, it says in 1 John. And if you make godly character your primary, um, your primary goal in what you're doing, the fruit of the Spirit will be born in your life. And when you face anger and anxiousness and depression and actually think something faulty here, I need to come to God and ask God what you're teaching me through this, what's, what part of my thinking is out. We'll see that anger gives way to patience, anxiety gives way to peace, and depression gives way to joy. And so if we come back to what I said at the beginning, if we fast forward to the end of 2016, and you think, well, I'm going to reflect back on the six months, how are you going to measure this year and say it was a success? What, what's your yardstick going to be? Mel and I um, always write a bunch of goals at the beginning of the year, what would know, be great to do, where to go, things we want to achieve. And we may achieve them, we may not. But actually, if we're actually going to assess how we've grown as believers, what we need to be looking at is our character before God. Because that's the only one we can fully control by His grace, because it's the only one that concerns us. How we react to people, how we react to the situation is completely in our hands and not anyone else's. And so what I'd love to do is, as we finish now, is kind of give us a moment of reflection of what's been going on in your life, what you're going through right now, and actually to ask yourself the question, God, what are you teaching me and training you through these? Because I know all of us at various times, various ways, we're going through difficulties. And you might think your difficulty is not, very bit, not as big as the next person's, but if you're going through it, it usually feels pretty big because you're going, the one going through it. And actually, the question to ask yourself is, God, what are you teaching me through this? How are you going to grow my character in you? And I also want to pray and say, ask God that if any of us are kind of in those positions where we're building our life on faulty beliefs about things that bring us worth, that are dependent on others, we need to lay them down right now. And we just say, no, God, we're not going to build them on there. Even if they might be good, things we'd like to see happen, we'll all have those. We all want good things for our family and, and for what we're doing um, by God's grace. But it's nothing we can build our life on because if it's dependent on someone else, it's going to disappoint us at some point. And if we're building our life on it, it's going to lead us to um, difficult places of hopelessness. So, tell you what, why don't we stand up? Let's do that.
Now I just want to close your eyes, ask the Holy Spirit to just come and speak to you at this time. And I just want you to take a moment to reflect back on your past and whatever God brings to mind. I mean, you'll know what it is because he'll, he'll, you'll be thinking about it now. But I, you might look at it as a difficult situation you went through. We've all got them. We've all had them. Relationship ones, work ones, financial ones, health ones, a whole bunch of things going on in our lives. I'd love you just to take a moment now to say, God, what were you teaching me through that time? What, was, what part of my character were you kind of honing in that time? What, what were you trying to build in me? If your goal was for me to become more like Jesus, how did that situation work to that effect? And I'll just, let me just give you a moment to do that. Maybe if God's shown you something and you can sort of see a change, if you reflect it back online, maybe you want to take the opportunity to thank him for, for his grace on your life that has used that particularly difficult situation to grow you and change you. If you can see I'm more like this now than I was then, that's a good opportunity to say thank you, God, for what you've done in my life. What about if you're going through something right now? I mean, you're right in the midst of it and it's just, something's a mess, something you're struggling with, health, work, uh, relationships, uh, finances, whatever it is, and you know you're kind of going through that struggle. You might want to try and pray a very brave prayer, which is just, God, through this difficult situation, change me and make me look like Jesus. It's a kind of, it's a maturing thing to actually be able to pray, God, change me through this rather than take me out of this. We often pray, want to pray both. <laughs> but actually, if you know you're in a tough situation, God, what are you teaching me through this? Because there's no guarantee that anything that is dependent on someone else will go the way you want it to. Sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. But if you know there's that situation, say, God, change me through this. Make me more like Jesus through this. Build those character qualities in me that we read about. Make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness mutual affection and to mutual affection love. Ultimately that's where it's all heading, isn't it? Jesus wants, uh, God wants us to become more like Jesus Jesus wants to become more like him, that we be that, show that loving compassion that he had. And I'm just going to kind of pray and then we're going to have a bit of a time of worship now. Lord Jesus, Lord, I thank you for every individual here. I thank you for what you've done in our lives to this day. Lord, I thank you for the truth we stand on, 100% truth, that you have saved us. God, that in you we are blameless, righteous, holy saints. Our past has been dealt with. 
And it doesn't matter whether we've been a believer five minutes or 50 years. We're all true and we all stand holy and blameless for you. We can come into your presence. We have your spirit in us. We've been transformed new creations. Lord, and I love you and I thank you and I praise you for that. Lord God, but as we walk through life and we go through mountaintop experiences and the valley, which seems so much more often, and we go through trials and sufferings, Lord God, I pray you would give us grace to become more like you. Lord, the only one who can block that goal is us. Lord, and I ask you give us grace to overcome the difficulties we face, the hurts, the rejection, Lord, and to deal with unforgiveness quickly. Lord, and to look to you and say, God, how are you building character in my life? How are you building perseverance and godliness and love and joy and peace and patience and kindness? faithfulness, self-control, Lord God, I pray you pour out your spirit on us as a people, Lord God, to give us grace to keep walking in the difficult times, in the difficult times. And Lord, and I pray as we go through this year and then we kind of get to the end, Christmas time 2016, into the new year 2017, Lord, I pray that when we have those quiet moments when we reflect back over the year, that you will give us grace and eyes to see how we've grown in character. We might have seen and done a whole bunch of stuff which will be exciting. We might look back over the year and think that was a bit of a write-off year. But actually, God, give us grace to grow in character that as we reflect back, you can say, look, I've grown in patience and compassion and being able to forgive and work through and all those beautiful qualities we see in Jesus. Lord, I pray, Holy Spirit, you make us more like you. Make us more like Jesus, Lord. And if you want to pray that, why don't you just pray that for yourself? Do that in your own words. A big, bold prayer.